going. So, Father, we thank you for this series that we've been looking at over these last few weeks. And, and Father, an opportunity for you to talk to us about some really practical but really deep things as well about how we we sort of grow in every area of our life. And just pray right now for John as he brings this message about countercultural sort of uh, ideas and how that looks to live today as a Christian. God, would you just give him your words and your wisdom, your Holy Spirit to um, communicate these things to us. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. That time of worship. Just going to echo some of those words. Be still for the presence of the Lord. The Holy One is here. And also what Steve said. I don't know what your relationship to God is or whether he's center stage in the spotlight or in the dark at the moment. But what Steve said was that God is in the spotlight this morning. And there's this lovely patch of light. So I'm going to step back because I want God to take center stage this morning. And I think God has stuff to say to us and he wants us to listen because he is a f- he's our father and we are his children and he has incredible things he wants to share. So that's my prayer really, that God would be center stage. He would show himself and speak. But I'm going to start with a story. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you're very sporty or not. If you cast your mind back to school, you may still be at school. But I don't know if you like sports day or not. Can you put your hands up if you really like sports day? Oh, quite a few. Wow, it's fantastic. Can you put your hands up if you dreaded and hated sports day? <laughs> about the same amount. Well, this is a story about uh, a group of young people who decided at the age of 14 they'd had enough of sports day. And actually, they wanted to make a stand against the world of sports days. And they had an amazing plan. And uh, there was a 4x100 relay, which was a culmination of sports day. And the boys in the, it was tutor groups, I think, decided that they were going to walk the 400 meter, uh, one by four, whatever it's called. And the girls also decided they would do that. And it was really exciting. They were going to make a big statement and a stand. And it was all set. They were going to put the books right and everything was going to be fine. So on the morning, um, they're excited about this. They, uh, the boys lined up. The gun went off. And everyone started sprinting apart from this one lad. And it was all going great because all the crowd started laughing their heads off. And the lad thought, wow, this is great. This statement's working. But then after a short while, everything turned around and it all started to go horribly, horribly, horribly wrong when the teachers suddenly realized what was going on. So the sports teacher was at the sign line shouting, Oi, you! Run! 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 All the teachers. Oi! Run! Run! And then there was a deathly silence and all the 1,500-odd students were just watching and this poor lad continued to walk 
whilst all that shouting was going on. Now, that was a very long walk, that 100 metres, I think, and by the time it got to the second person in the relay, they, they started jogging. All the shouting was still going on. And by the time it got to the third person, that person started sprinting. And then by the time it got to the fourth person, he was sprinting flat out. And it just shows you the countercultural pressures we're under. If you start and try to buck the trend, if you start to even make a slight ripple in society, you are going to get a huge amount of shouting from the sidelines. And it takes an awful lot of courage to carry your convictions and to carry on with your plan. Now, I think that poor lad had a bad day because he got blamed for the whole thing. The, the girls didn't, you know, they run, they didn't walk. And when he got home, he got an absolute roasting. And we can get into serious trouble being Christians in our society. If we start to follow some of the things God calls us to, we can get a lot of flack from the sidelines. Maybe our family, maybe our best friends are some of the ones that shout loudest at us. But I've got challenges for you this morning because I think God has called us to a counter-cultural race. And the Bible is full of illusions about running and races. Hebrews 12 verse 1, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 1 Corinthians 9 24, run in such a way as to get the prize. 1 Corinthians 9 26, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. And m perhaps more so with this illusion, is this um, story. Consider Jesus, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're called, are we not, to not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So just to recap what we've been through on this series so far, We've looked at the problem of emotion being emotionally unhealthy, um, un emotionally unhealthy spirituality, and all of us are prone to that in many ways. We've also looked at knowing ourselves so we can know God better, about being authentic, about being real. A few weeks ago, I talked about going back in order to go forward, dealing with the past, the things that are holding us back. And then Karen talked about how we can cope with grief and loss in a healthy way, which is really difficult. And then last week, Rachel gave the first installment on dealing with difficult people. And this week, we're talking about the stop, start, sprint and the countercultural clash. So as we seek God's kingdom, what rhythm and life habits should we seek to cultivate and who may be disapprovingly shouting at us from the sidelines. Now, I'm a gardener, and one of the benefits of being a gardener is you get to experience God's creation in a really true, intimate way every day. And th this is autumn at this time of year, and it is such a beautiful time of year. There's so much going on. Um, creation is such has such mind-blowing depth to it. So, for example, at the moment, the trees are going through all kinds of chemical processes. Um, we all know about chlorophyll, the green pigment, and at this time of year, the plants start to decompose that and take that, some of the pigments um, to store over winter so that they've got a head start the following year, and with cold nights, the chlorophyll starts to decompose and break down quickly, and then 
lo and behold, these other pigments start to show through that have been there all along. The oranges, the carotenoids, and the yellow colors, and also the anthocyanins, the reds, and the purples, and the pinks. And every year is different because it all depends on the temperature, the day, um, the how dry it is, and things like that. But the world is an incredible place. And the cells start to elongate where they attach to the uh, branch and the leaves fall. And it's an incredible process. And of course, there is four seasons. And plants are designed to adapt, to grow, and to utilize those four seasons to their advantage. And it's the same with just every single day. There's a sunrise and a sunset. And throughout the day, there's different stages that we all go through as people. Uh, we sleep at night. We get up in the morning. We have breakfast. We have lunch, we have an evening meal, hopefully, and we have, a, if we're lucky, a bedtime story, and then we're back to bed again. And so we can't escape these rhythms of life. They're inescapable. And yet, as people in our day and age, so often we try and buck the seasons. We try and buck the daily rhythms of life. And I think God calls us to specific rhythms because he's created this universe to work in certain ways. And if we go beyond those, if we go outside of those, if we start to um, play against the system, often we can come unstuck. So one of those rhythms, rhythms is Sabbath. Now I was fortunate as a 19-year-old to live in Israel for an, a year, and the Jewish people are really good at observing the Sabbath. Despite all the things that have happened to them over the years and the Holocaust and things like that, one thing that holds true is they really revere the Sabbath. They understand it because it was one of the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, um, you shall not work on um, for one day of the week. Six days, yes, you can work. And it's all because God rested on, this, on the seventh day after, after creating the universe. And it was an incredible experience. I used to work a 50 to 60-hour week, get up at... Uh, start work at 6 o'clock in the morning, finish at 2 o'clock if I was lucky, but maybe 4 o'clock if it was a hard day. Six days. And yet, even, even working that amount of hours, it seemed like we had a lot of time to relax and play in the evening and swim in the pool and drink beer and play uh, cards or watch TV. But the seventh day was special, and every Saturday or Shabbat was like Christmas almost. So we'd finish on Friday afternoon, and everyone, wherever you go, would be saying Shabbat Shalom, which is peace on the Sabbath. And it was building up. And then there was a big meal. And on a kibbutz, the whole community gather for a meal. And there was wine. And there was uh, tables were laid with tablecloths. And it was a really celebration. And then once the meal was finished, the sun went down. And that was it. That was it for 24 hours. You would did nothing. And it was a real celebration of the Sabbath. And despite working a 60-hour week, really hard physical work in the fields, fish farming, date plantations, agricultural work, you were refreshed after that 24 hours of rest. And in Israel, there is not a lot to do on the Sabbath. There is no public transport. The shops aren't open. No one does anything. You have to actually go out of your way to do anything. And it's only the maybe the young people um, that want to earn overtime that carry on, or the soldiers returning from their families that you ever see on the roads. So it was taught me a really deep lesson that you can work hard as long as you um, have that rest. And God calls us to that Sabbath rest. And there's two commandments, I think, that we are so prone to disregarding in our Western culture. The first one is the Sabbath, and the second one is worshipping foreign gods. And they seem to be two of the commandments that we seriously become unstuck at. But we do 
disobey this command at our own loss, really. There are big implications if we disregard God's commands. And there's these amazing um, stories about people in America when they were traveling from the East Coast to the West Coast. And there's quite a lot of religious communities. And it was in the 1800s, about 1830, the American government tried to um, encourage people to make this huge journey west. It was about 2,000 miles across the continent. They had to cross the Rocky Mountains and umpteen rivers, um, no roads as, as such. And they wanted to colonize this big continent. And the English had a little enclave in Ore Oregon. There was people living in California. And but they were it's about expansion and taking new territory. And of course, a lot of people wanted to make their lives better because conditions in the south, in, in um, Missouri, Alabama, places like that, there were real disease problems with the hot, humid weather and the bog, boggy sort of conditions. And there was these stories of how wonderful California was and how amazing the crops grew in Oregon. And people wanted a better life. So they were willing to save up the $1,000, which is a huge amount in those days, to buy themselves a wagon and to load up with six months' worth of, of supplies because that's what it took to cross over from the east to the west. And of course, there were religious communities. People like us guys would say, hey, let's go and make a better life for ourselves out west. And that, so there was this huge um, challenge for them to keep the Sabbath because if um, you wanted to get to the east, to the west coast, surely it made sense to carry on and carry on, especially if winter was arriving and especially if there were bands of marauding uh, Indians charging around. And so many wagon trains split up over this issue of the Sabbath. But there's an amazing story about one such group who they'd crossed the Missouri River, they were approaching the Rocky Mountains, winter was coming on, there were reports of Indian bands, and half the group decided we're going to carry on and we're going to travel on the Sabbath. And one group said, actually, no, we're going to stick to the God's laws and we're going to go and have a rest. And amazing thing was, guess who got to the West Coast first? It was the people that had a rest on a Sunday because their animals, their oxen, the, the horses had a rest. They had time to patch up their wagons and they got there way before the other group. But it was quite a, a key moment in the history of America, I think. And so many people abandoned their beliefs. There's one diarist in 1852 wrote, he who starts across the continent is most sure to leave his religion on the east side of the Missouri River. Despite other stories and despite encouragement by some of the other people, uh, for example, Joseph E. Ware in the Immigrants, Immigrants Guide to California in 1849 wrote, never travel on the Sabbath. Those who lay by on the Sabbath, resting themselves and their teams, will get to California 20 days sooner than those who travel seven days a week. The pressures, like modern day life, got to the travelers. And Sabbath observance was generally best during the early weeks of the trail, but even the most religious people often lost their mor moral bearings once they entered a land where neither law nor common practice restrained. The passion for speed fed on itself, fracturing companies into smaller units, not treated, 
not treated all days alike, but treated all days alike, sorry. So this had a bigger significance the, the, um, for the country of, of the United States because for the people that traveled across and ignored the Sabbath then had a less of a disregard for the Sabbath and that then followed on the social, demographic, and secular forces that would contribute to transforming the place of the Sabbath to later American culture. So that those people that compromised later generations would pay the price for that and far less God-fearing nation as a result. So us here, if we, if we are, you know, disregard the Sabbath, there are bigger consequences just than, just than for ourselves. And like I said before, God himself rested after six days of work and he was refreshed on the seventh day. And that is why we are called to rest because we're made in God's image and we are just as much in need as, as God of rest. I don't know if you can read this, but there's a guy called Eugene Peterson who wrote the Message Bible. Uh, he wrote, if you keep the Sabbath, you start to see creation not as somewhere to get away from your ordinary life, but a place to frame an attentiveness to your life. It's not about escaping, it's about getting the right context and perspective in life, and it helps you to just take that breather in that sprint, to stop, and then you can start again and be able to run a whole lot further if you do. So I've been a Christian about 25 years, but I'm now hungry for um, stopping on the Sabbath. In fact, I can't function really without it. And my family sometimes uh, have to leave me at home if they want to go out and ride the horses and stuff like that. But I think being in Israel for years stuck with me. And I'm sure I've been far more healthy mentally, physically, because I have stopped every, every week. Yes, I do sometimes work on a Sunday because my job in t in, um, requires it. But then I make sure I have a day after just to, just to rest. But that really isn't enough. If you want a close walk with God, if you want to experience the peace of God, it's probably not enough just to take one day off a week. And it's probably not enough just to say a few prayers at the end of the, the day either. And what you need to do really is to stay in touch and on that sprint each day to stop regularly, like the slide earlier with the breakfast, the lunch, the, the dinner, the bedtime stories, you put in times each day to stop, physically stop. And what I do at work is, and I'm really lucky because I've got these amazing places to go, I stop and I go out and sit in the garden for 10, 20 minutes. And this is my favorite spot. This is if I'm in a hurry. It's called the Reserve Garden. It's behind Bonnet Hall. There are no visitors there. And it is a beautiful place. And it's, it's made me realize that a lot of the Bible takes place in places like this, in gardens, in wild places. And God speaks to us. God can connect to us, and we can connect to God in places that are surrounded by natural beauty. Um, so this is my place where I connect with God. And it's often I'm coming back from this place, and I feel a different person. I feel the peace has descended. Or I see a bird in a bird bath with the water glistening, and it reminds me of something that God um, wants to tell me, and it's just an amazing thing to do. And it is a discipline, and I'm sure people think I'm mad because they're all sat 
joking and whatever in the mess room, but I need this time to reconnect with God. And afterwards, I'm sure I'm getting through my work far more. So if I'm having a bad day, this is where I go. It's a five-minute walk, but what an incredible place. Um, it's overlooking the Conway Valley. It's in the parkland just beyond Bodmont. And you can see the River Conway and the mountains in the background and the trees and the seasons changing. And half an hour sat there and I'm recharged and I, it's hard not to be, feel close to God in a place like that. So much of the Bible calls us to just to take some time out from the race, to stop, to walk rather than sprinting. And in Exodus 14, verse 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Sometimes we take on our own battles, don't we? And we don't allow God to fight them for us. So this was so you can experience my lunchtime. Matt's managed to get it working. It was quite windy. This was on Wednesday, I think. so blessed in North Wales that we can get out to places like this so easily. One of the verses in the Bible that meant so much to me when I had heart failure, when I thought I was going to die, I was in hospital for six weeks and I was reading the Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And I think God's, you know, been so good to me and he has given me green pastures to lie down in and he has led me beside still waters and he has restored my soul. And I'm sure part of that is because I'm able to get out to places like this for half an hour each day. A while ago, Rachel gave me a book. It's called Hosting the Presence by Bill Johnson. And one of my earliest experiences of God was when I was finishing college. I wasn't a Christian, and I was at, had come to a crossroads in life, and I didn't know what to do. I trained to be a gardener. I had a girlfriend in Wales, but what, what should I do? Should I try and get a job somewhere? Should I go and move to Wales? So I don't know why, but I decided to go for a walk and ask God what I should do. Dangerous thing. So I walked to a place called Pittsford Reservoir, which is about five miles away, and I asked God, God, what shall I do? And amazingly, I had an answer straight away, and, and I didn't hear it audibly, but I felt it, and it said, follow your heart. And that was an incredibly powerful moment to me. And at that moment, I experienced something which was incredible peace and a deep sense of well-being, and just everything in the world slowed down, and it felt like I was in the right place at the right time. And the strange thing was that as I walked back, none of the animals ran away, the sheep, the rabbits, I just walked through them all, and they didn't, it was almost as if I wasn't there. The peace that I had somehow radiated out, and that was an amazing experience, and I'm sure it was key to me, you know, becoming a Christian and then going on with God. But it does say in Exodus, and all through the Bible, Exodus 33, verse 14, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And there's something about knowing God 
and being able to receive that peace, that sense of uh, everything is right. And once I've been out every lunchtime or tea break in the garden, I must say that peace descends each time. And this is what the world is so desperate for. And you think people are running after it in all kinds of different ways. Drink, drugs, yoga, all kinds of things. They want that peace. But the only place you'll get that real peace is with God, with that relationship with him, because that's who are, um, is the source of our peace. So anyway, this is, um, takes a funny turn now. So after reading this book that Rachel gave me, I thought, well, I'm going to put this to the test. I'm going to see how much of the presence of God, how much of that peace I can actually get in my life, and I'm going to see if it actually works. Um, so I started to think, well, if I'm going to walk through the fields with a dog, I'm going to see if all the animals run away from me. So um, I did train to be a deer stalker at one point, so I can walk through the fields quite quietly. But I came across a herd of cows the other side of the, the hedge, and I don't know why, but I decided to say, going to um, talk to them and see if they run away. So I um, thought the best thing to do was be to try and uh, pick a, a way of speaking that cows would relate to. So I said, stuck my head round and said, peace be with you. <laughs> and I don't know why I said that. I think it's probably because I had a bit of an Anglican few years as a Christian. But anyway, what do you think happened? Well, it all went horribly wrong, actually, because the cow jumped out of its skin and galloped off across the field. Now, that wouldn't have been too bad, but there was a herd of cows and the calves and all the c cows galloped with clods of earth flying off. There was some slipping over and like in their haste to escape. And I, I thought, oh, no. And what came to mind was the herd of pigs that Jesus cast off the cliff. And I had to look around and think, oh, gosh, is there a farmer who's going to see who this freak freaked out his animals? <laughs> all went horribly wrong. So I thought, maybe it's not, not so much work with cows. Maybe it would work with sheep. So the next time I went for a walk, I tried it with a sheep, raised my staff like Moses and said, peace be with you. <laughs> and, you know, my children's favorite story was uh, Balaam and his donkey. And at that moment, my faith levels were up here. I wouldn't have been shocked if the, peace, if the sheep had turned around and said, and also with you. But they didn't. They fled in the opposite direction, as fast as they could go, bolting as if their lives depending on it. And again, I was like, oh, no. So I, anyway, I didn't give up. I thought, maybe it's the dog that's scaring them. <laughs> but I persisted. And within a week, believe it or not, I could get up and walk through the cows and the sheep as if I had that peace and that presence. And I had this amazing experience of um, the sheep just looking at me instead of running away. And I thought, oh, what do I do now then? I thought, well, I, maybe I'll start preaching at them. <laughs> That's the next stage in this experiment. And believe it or not, sheep are incredibly attentive when you're preaching to them. And I was telling them how revival was coming to Wales. And they were all looking at me. And it was an amazing experience. And it, yes, it's completely bonkers, I know. But then I thought, you know, David probably learned to sing to sheep before he sang in front of the king. And I bet... He learned how to fight off wild animals with the sheep before he was, you know, fighting off giants. And I'm sure plenty of preachers preach to the mirror or speak to sheep. And Jesus did, did said, didn't he, take care of my sheep. But it's just that much. I was just thinking, if we are real about this, if we can experience that peace and that presence of God, surely it will rub off on other the people around us. And surely 
even animals will pick up on that. And how amazing it will be if we can carry, if we can be carriers of God's peace and his presence wherever we go and our prayers are answered and things fall into place just from us being there. So I'm just going to finish with a few challenges for you to stop, look and listen. God draws near in the ordinary, common, everyday moments. He comes in surprising ways. Where have you seen him today? And remember to thank him. And for me, it's going out in nature and seeing what's going on. So this was just a walk I happened to take a few pictures of when it was in January. You can have an amazing experience with with God and just walking around. And these are just um, like the burning bush moment. And I remembered that Moses heard God calling to him from within a bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, where am I? We sang a song earlier. Be still for the glory of the Lord is shining all around. How awesome is the sight, our radiant king of light. And this also reminded me of the transfiguration when Jesus took his disciples to a lonely place to encounter God in a powerful way. We live in an amazing part of the world where these kind of things are every day. We also sang earlier, Waymaker, Miracle Worker. And in Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. God can speak to you through even something as silly as a road sign. I have another confession to make. I've got a place I call the Prayer Hill. And this is me walking up to the prayer hill in January. We're a thousand feet up where we live, so we get snow quite a lot. This is my favorite place to meet with God. is absolutely amazing and it faces west so I'm always praying to find a home for us at Anglesey but what an incredible place to go and meet with God and this is the place reminded me when we were seeing earlier there's no mountain you won't climb coming after me and this reminded me of Mount Moriah I don't know if you know the story of Abraham and Isaac when he took Isaac up the mountain God asked him to sacrifice his only son but just as he was about to do it he found a ram caught in a thorn bush and just as after I took that little video here's the mountain and here's the ram caught in a barbed wire fence and I was able to go and release it. Actually, there's two rams there. But I was thinking to d- today, there is no mountain God won't 
climb coming after you. He gave his only son so that you could know him, that you could experience him. You could know that peace. You could know that presence, that transforming power that I've been talking about. Back to the story. I've got a confession to make. There's three people in this room that were involved with this story. I was the lad that got caught. I was the one that carried on walking even though I was being shouted at. Everyone else ran. I got the biggest rollicking I've ever had when I got home. Um, I embarrassed my family. Um, I let down my entire school. Um, it was a nightmare. Um, but since I've been called to be a Christian, I've called to be far more countercultural. Marie and I got married against better judgment of our, some of our family. Most of our family. Mum was the only one that agreed. Um, many things we've done in life have been countercultural because God's called us to a different way. So let us learn to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let's run in such a way as to get the prize. Let's run not as a man running aimlessly. And let us consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful man so that we'll not grow weary and lose heart. Let us not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So the challenge is this morning are you running a stop-start sprint? Are you taking time out from that sprint to connect with God, to experience that peace, to experience the presence of God, that transforming, amazing presence that we can know that the world longs for and yet doesn't, looking in all the wrong places? Are you experiencing a countercultural clash? Have you got people shouting and yelling at you from the sidelines? It might be your husband, it might be your children, it might be the nearest and dearest, it might be your school friends, it might be people you work with, it might just be people passing you by on your way to church as you're carrying a Bible, mocking you. Have you got it? what it takes to carry on walking, to carry on running despite what the world around you is doing? For the promise of a better life, have you compromised something you shouldn't have? Have you let something slip, like the Sabbath, that God has put there so he can bless you, he can refresh you? Are you obeying, enjoying the benefits of God's command for a Sabbath day of rest? You will get to your destination much quicker if you do that, and you'll be far healthier and fresher if you do that. Are you taking time out to stop throughout the day? Are you experiencing the presence and peace of God? So in Philippians chapter 3 and 4, bits and pieces I've taken out. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Join with others in following my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, 
their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord. Rejoice always in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know if Rachel's around. The spotlight's still there and I think the most important thing is that God is a God who loves us. He's a God who wants us to thrive. He doesn't want us to be in a sprint that is never ending, that we feel we're, we're at the end of our tether. And I work with so many people that that is their experience. There's one lady who's got four children. Oh, okay. I work with a lady who's got four children. Her husband has got all sorts of anxiety issues. He gets anxious if the house isn't tidy, so my colleague tidies the house. She also does the cooking. She also does the DIY. She also takes us, picks up the children from school. And she said to me this week, she's at the end of her tether. I asked her if she gets a day off. She doesn't. Her days off are full of doing things. About the only time she's ever had a rest is when she went off on a college block. She sent her off to learn some more about gardening. That was a rest, and that was an intensive college block. I had another colleague this week who crashed a car because she was so angry about something that had gone on about work. God wants us to thrive. He wants us to know that peace. He wants us to know his presence in our lives. He wants us to share those things with him. He can take them off us. We can walk through life with that sense of peace if we only stop and then sprint. Stop and then sprint. So I don't know if you just want to play in the background. Um, I didn't realize how much uh, poems I write, I write. And I don't know about you, but I know God has created this world and uh, he meant it to speak to us. And I'm, I'm sorry if you don't, you know, are that connected to, to creation. But if Rachel just plays, I'm just going to say a poem. But I want you to think about things in your life where you need to slow down. If you want to know God's peace and his presence, then I think what he'd say to you this morning is, take time to rest. To take time to rest, you need to have faith that God is in control. 
So sometimes when we're in control, we can't stop because things will fall apart. So actually resting is a step of faith. And it's saying, God, I'm going to leave it all to you. You're in charge of the world. I am going to rest. And it's amazing how God will sort things out. So this was on top of the prayer hill, my prayer hill. And it was a bit of a revelation I had. The grass is alive, blowing, shaking, bent by the wind, releasing pollen. Wave after wave, dipping and straining, like many horses, galloping and rearing, wild and free, yet purposeful. Banks of cloud, backlit by the western sun, still high above the mountains. Grey ridgeline meeting grey cloud, blending into one. Raindrops trapped on grass blades, tiny fragments of the sky littering the field where I lie. The wind echoing in my ears, like the distant pounding of breakers against the rocks. The sky above like blue marble, distant piping birds call and a bee races past to who knows where. I made this, look around. I want you to see, I want you to look and believe. Yellow hayfields against dark mountain, green grass against grey-blue clouds, orange light on the mountain tops, wispy clouds trailing below the ridges like mountain peaks on fire. I believe, but I want to know more. The vastness of your knowledge, the artistry of your hand, the depth of detail in your creation, too great to understand. I sneeze at the pollen, my eyes watering. Not all beauty is without a cost. My body not at peace with the grass. A beetle scurries past in a hurry to who knows where. But perhaps you know where after all, God. Thank you for the world you've created. If you're running a race that you're finding hard, then I've got this little book called The Race Marked Out for Us, and my mum has given me a load, a friend of hers. It's got some of the things I've been talking about. But I believe God is here. He is in the spotlight. I believe God is saying to us, take time to rest. Take time to enjoy God. God wants to bless us. He wants so much to bless our Sabbath rest. He wants so much to bless the times you spend with him want so much to do that but we are we have free choice to, to enter into that or not we can take time off on a Sunday or we don't have to 